This is The Pool. I'm Rain Coleman, your host, and this is episode 32. What's up, y'all? We back with the pool, and we gonna chill. We gonna kick it. The pool. It's just my little nerd check in. Listen to some new. Well, report some news. <laughs> Talk about some books we didn't read, some shows and movies we didn't watch, and all that good stuff. So if that's right up your alley, even if it ain't, stay, stay the night with me. Don't care what we read. Reading comics and books, y'all. <laughs> But yeah, y'all, so I'm Rain Comey, your host. We back in this thing. Um, you know, uh, you know how it is. So I've been in this like space, this headspace when it comes to comic and nerd culture that is really new to me. And it's a little, I don't know, a little different. I'm still kind of wading in the water, <laughs> feeling my way through it and all. But I do got I do have some updates for you guys, some things that I've been watching and consuming and stuff. And so this is gonna be a pretty chill, uh kickback, laid back, hangout type episode. Um hit me up online. Twitter, app formerly known as Twitter, X, whatnot, hit me up, Carefree Blur, TikTok as well. That's where you'll find me more times than not. Then if you are into the Instagram of it all and you want to do the YouTubes as well, hit me up at Carefree Black Nerd. I'll leave all those links in the show notes. But yeah, man, it's been it's been it's been something. This has been a, a very interesting little while, I'll say that. Uh let me know how y'all been. You know, I know we're early in the episode, but if you're doing the social media thing, hit me up. Use that hashtag the pool CBN. That's T-H-E-P-U-L-L-C-B-N. And let me know what's going on with you. How have you been these last little bit? How's your week been? Uh, how would, how your mom and them? <laughs> and honestly, I'd like to know how you guys' holiday went. We are just coming off of Halloween. And y'all showed out. Y'all showed out. Me, I was being somebody's big cousin, somebody's uncle, laid up, watching stuff, curled up in bed, <laughs> chilling, straight chilling. But y'all were looking really good. Y'all, those costumes. That's one thing I love about nerd culture, man. Yeah, Halloween is like this big, nice time that everyone uh, celebrates, Americans and whatnot. But nerds and cosplay and fantasy attire and all that good stuff that happens for us year round and so seeing folks show out and do do it do it like it's your b day uh, <laughs> on halloween was really truly um good to see good to see so keep on going with the cosplay with the dressing up with the acting out with all the stuff you're doing please keep that stuff up halloween was good and Halloween is spooky season. And unfortunately, I didn't really do a whole lot as it pertains to spooky season, be it um, content-wise, be it comic book-wise, be it like all of that. I know last year I was knees deep in like back-to-back vampire um, films. I got the Blood Sweet series. I'll link that as well. That was uh, that was going. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, really quick news we know that interview with the vampire season two is fast approaching there have been teaser trailers and trailers uh that popped up then there's a well 
a teaser trailer and then like a, a, a snippet of a scene. I'm not sure how that's classified, but a shorter scene and then a secondary longer scene popped up. And that, that was pretty cool. Okay, so where did we leave off? Paris was an awakening for Louis. The whole world was ready to return, to remake their lives. Paris was a hunger. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Théâtre des Vampires. Everything you're about to see is real. Louis and Claudia. Welcome to our coven. Who's that handsome man on the wall? Our co-founder. Lestat de Leoncourt. I am very excited for Interview with a Vampire to just like kind of dive into things because for me, I'm very much into nerd, comic book, anime, 90s, 80s, 70s culture, all that. But Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's work is something that I had not consumed. It's something that I was familiar with and I've consumed as far as like watching the movies and enjoying uh, those way back in the 90s and kind of having a memory of these things and having a pretty surface level memory and understanding of what's going on. And so when AMC and uh, Anne Rice linked up and gave us one of the best shows of the last decade, I was thoroughly surprised and shocked and excited. Now, it's no secret that Lestat the Lion Court, Lestat, I ain't calling him Lestat, fuck that, no, <laughs> I'm not a fan of his, however, Sam Reed has killed it at every single turn, to the point where I might end up acting like a Jada Pickett character from um, uh, Shane, whooping off on that, uh, <laughs> that soap opera star <laughs> for uh, cheating on his wife, and even though that was like a show, but all that being said, I, I don't like that dude. I don't like to do, but Sam has really killed it. And it's a testament to his acting that I do despise Lestat so much. And I'm calling him Lestat. I ain't calling him Lestat, whatever his name is. Let's get out of here. Um, so that's coming in. I'm, I'm very excited because I don't know what's happening. I mentioned this in episodes of shows in the past where I grew up on a lot of this nerd stuff. And so when stuff is translated to live action and other iterations, it's still exciting. It's, it's not any less exciting. But going into a community, a fandom, a IP that I am not familiar with and having it be so freaking good, done so well and have the fans, at least the ones who I associate with, be so open and welcoming and exciting and like I'm learning new stuff and people spoiling stuff for me and they don't really know it and I don't really know it because I don't know what's going on is <laughs> so that's an exciting feeling for me so that may be one of the uh one of the top reasons why interview with the vampire is so high on my list um the other thing for me is you know I champion all things black well not all things because everybody ain't everybody ain't got good intention but for me it's representation in comics and related media that's always that's the motto that's the tagline that's the hill i live and die on and for all my frustration about um the visibility of 
queer male same-sex relationships same gender loving relationships not being pushed to the forefront is to me again another testament to the fact the interview with the vampire has done so well that even though i hate lestat sam and jacob's chemistry sold it for me so season two is coming back with the vengeance and i i can't wait i can't wait y'all let me know are you interview with the vampire fans stands or are you new to it one of the funniest things to me when it comes to social media and that show is finding all these tweets about people who have like recently discovered the show and they thought it was bad because like how could this show be bad or they've recently discovered the show and not that they thought it was bad but they're so surprised at how good it is or those people who are like these motherfuckers gay yes this is a gay ass show i've been saying for ever vampires are canonically gay if not explicitly gay queer you ain't about to tell me that you the vampire male female non-binary however you identify you're not about to tell me that you have been turned into a vampire you have lived eons decades millennia hundreds of years and you are strictly heterosexual man get the hell out of here with this shit because at some point all of this just becomes nothing like so i don't know that's my personal head canon and i live by that as well vampires are queer as fuck <laughs> so yeah let me know how are you feeling about interview with the vampire season one has come and gone if you have not watched it please get on a good foot and do the vampire thing because season two i can already tell we are going to be in for a wild ass ride so uh, i'm gonna leave y'all here let me go ahead and Get me a little drink and so we can um, settle into what comes up next. So let's go to a little break, y'all. sound and I had just been think I had been thinking about it and hoping that something would come and I just opened my mouth and there it was cool very nice and I was like yeah let's keep it going why, why not there are worse things out tonight than vampires like what like me he's part human and part vampire I mean, he has some rather weird eyes. It would probably attract more attention were he not to wear the shades. He's trying to be a shadow warrior. We got no mask, no cape, no tights, none of that. You know, straight up man. All right, Charles, we back, we back. So first things first, I'm the realist. No, um, so apparently, According to Variety, Mahershala Ali is reportedly considering leaving Blade. This is due to script issues. 
he says that in one version of the script blade was reportedly um pretty much a fourth lead of the movie which i i don't know i don't know i'm not in those rooms i can't say that this is what's going on or what's not going on it just would seem odd to me that considering what wesley snipes did considering how well i guess maybe not so i don't know a fourth lead is very weird to me but with the way that mcu has been going and the way that they have been i don't know i don't know i want to sound like i'm jaded around or whatever but it seems like if that is the case it would be believable and it would be sad um i don't know that we're ever going to get just a regular ass movie <laughs> like but i guess there's also an argument to be made that we did get wesley snipes people know who blade is and he's iconic behind him but if this man is the fourth lead in his own movie that's that's odd that's odd so he also says that kevin feige has since hired the logan writer michael green to work on a new script and the film will move forward with a budget of less than 100 million at this point what are we doing over there at Marvel Disney? Like, what exactly are we doing? Has the creative well run dry? Blade has gone through no less than 6,000 uh, different directors and revisions and stuff. So I could see the frustration. Well, I could understand, I'd say, the frustration there. Especially if you've done all that and this man was truly the fourth lead. So I saw uh, varying opinions about this online. Some folks were like, you know, whatever. Marshla, he don't do action, blah, blah, just in the third. And I'm like... Bruh, we're well past that. Like, and also we don't know. We don't know what this man is capable of. Like, and also we have stunt. Like, there's like we. You have to acknowledge the way in which the phrase TV magic or movie magic exists. Like, of course, everybody's not Tom Cruise <laughs> strapped to a gurney running up a six thousand story building. But like, I don't. We don't really even know what type of story was being told. So all of that may not have been necessary. I don't know. I'm pretty indifferent about it. I was extremely excited for Blade when it was when he was first announced. But I don't know, man. When it comes to the comic movies and stuff, I'm here for them and I'm ready to see each and every one. But I wonder where are we now with these big sprawling multiversal stories because a lot of it feels like we're returning to some of the same pitfalls of comic books. And I'm not really a fan of that because it feels like with comics, there's so much continuity with every single big three comic company. And even with some of the indies, but not so much indies, I ain't talking about y'all, but you have decades and half centuries and whatever of all of this continuity where everything is different and some things aren't and some things change from something as minor as eye color to as major as race of a character and in ability and familiar relation. And I feel that way about MCU now where comics, sure, you can just hop on at any time and, you know, catch a number one and kind of figure things out. And that is part of the fun of it. But it's also like you could get bogged down in continuity and for someone like me who wants to know 
what everything means and what's important and what's not and what actually happened. It gets frustrating, especially when you're reading them as they come out and then things are changed later. I know retcons exist and you can change and do whatever, but I don't know, at some point it's just like, I don't expect to read the same Tony Stark in a comic book in 2023 that was around in, you know, 1960, whatever. I don't, that like, that's not what I'm saying, but I, I do expect that we can get a through line and stuff matters. Like if somebody brought up, I don't know, Howard the Duck was the ex-lover of Johnny Storm in a Fantastic Four issue back in 19, I don't know, 61. And then it never showed up again, but then that plot line was never wrapped up. That gets frustrating. So I don't know if it's like some neural spicy stuff going on or if it's just like, yeah, that's... I don't know if that's just a big complaint with everyone, but I say all that's my roundabout way of saying I feel like the MCU is getting to that point as well. Um, because the MCU started when I was a, an adult, I have a very clear memory of it, you know, but also going to work and going to school and whatever else. I would, I would like to speak to or hear the thoughts of the MCU from someone who maybe was like in the fourth grade when the first Iron Man movie came out and then they kind of sort of grew up on this. Because it feels like, what are we doing? It feels like there's just so many stories and so many moving pieces and parts, which in itself is exciting. But when you have a book, that's easier to manage. I can say, all right, Stephanie Williams, I want you to write this uh, Generation X reboot and it's going to run for 50 issues, but I need you to include this particular event. And then I want... uh, Excuse me, you, uh, Chris Batalo, I want you to write, you want you to draw all of the um, variant covers and this and that. And then I want, like, I want you, Robert Jeffries, to take the X-Men blue team and I want you to do X, Y, like, that's fine. But then when you have um, something that happens, you can maybe, you can change it in a way that it makes sense or the turnaround time is much shorter. But then you have these live actions, you got these people and these contracts and everything else. And I don't know, I don't mean to sound like I'm not enjoying them because I am enjoying the movies and stuff. But I just feel like we're getting to a point now where it's like, okay, this Blade stuff happened. How much now is changing with the MCU based off of this? Which is not an issue because stuff changes all the time. But based off of this, that now negatively or alters something else that has already maybe been addressed in let's say WandaVision and so there goes another plot line that never gets resolved that's kind of just hanging in thin air so I don't know it's it's a little it's a little frustrating and this is minor because uh Blade hasn't come out so any changes that maybe you know are being made behind the scenes can be made and that's it but kind of switching gears to a more substantial uh issue or thing or whatever that deals with MCU is the Jonathan Majors thing. So, um, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit of that. So Variety reported that, uh, one of the studio sources noted that regardless of Jonathan Majors legal issues, Marvel already had considered moving away from a Majors led phase because of the box office performance of Quantumanium, which will struggle to make a profit. Now, Jonathan Majors and his court stuff 
I don't want to say put it aside, but like kind of put it in your pocket for a minute. Or no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> Keep it on the table for right now. So with all of this going on, this is one instance where for Marvel to pivot, like you can see, like this is something that I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't use the same argument I had for the Mahershala thing for this one in the same way. Because this is something that popped up. This is something that this man was involved in that then would allow you to pivot. And so now it's, do you recast? Do you have them and kill them off? Do you do it? Like whatever is going to happen, is going to happen. So that's something different. But to be like, Marvel already considered moving away from a major's lead phase because of quantum mania. It's like, let's now hold on. This ain't defending nobody, but you had Jonathan Majors, you had Michelle Pfeiffer, you got Paul Rudd, all front and center. To be quite honest, I enjoyed Quantumania, but I could see that that wasn't one of Marvel's best films. And it maybe it's me, and y'all let me know um, when it comes to like Ant-Man and that leg of Marvel. Like, is that something you enjoy? Because I have not. I have not. I think the ghost villain from, what was it, the first Ant-Man, I enjoyed her. But, like, all in all, I don't like, either I don't like Ant-Man or I just don't like the way he's been portrayed. Because it feels, I don't know. I don't know, y'all. I, I, I wasn't really a fan of Ant-Man. And uh, live-action Ant-Man, anyways. I don't know that those move. well, maybe the first one was really, mm, okay, I'll say, I don't know, I'll have to sit with that. But I do know that Quantumania, to me, felt cheap. And it felt like a lot of stuff was going on at once. Um, I enjoyed the movie, like, sitting there, first watch, enjoying it. It was great. But, like, now that we look back on it retrospectively, I don't know that Jonathan Majors was the issue with that film. Because it truly felt like he was acting in an entirely different film than the rest of the cast. On top of that, we're at this... I don't say impasse or whatever, but with these films, you know that the good guys have to win out or whatever, which, okay, fine. But to build Kang up to be this particular threat and to have him bested by Scott and Co. I, I don't know, whatever, I, whatever. I'm for, I'm, I'm for whatever happens. But long story short, what I'm trying to say is to like walk it back and be like, oh, we were already thinking about getting rid of him. It's like, mm, I mean, how true is that when that movie, I feel like even if Jonathan Majors was not Kang, if Kang was Leonardo DiCaprio or if Kang was Denzel Washington or like no matter who Kang was, I don't know that that movie was really set up to win. You know, and I, maybe I, maybe y'all think I'm wrong. And if so, please let me know. Like, when you watch Quantumanium, is that a movie that you enjoyed? Are you like, no, that was the best freaking thing? Or do you think, like, that was set up to be a home run? And do you think Jonathan Majors was the issue with that movie? And also, you know, looking at, again, you have Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, at that point in time, Jonathan was one of the hottest, if not the hottest, black stars, black male stars, male movie stars going on. Then you got Michelle Pfeiffer, which maybe she doesn't have the same pool as, you know, folks younger than me. But I would tune in to see anything that she's in. And then you have Paul Rudd, little Mr. Uh, 
Clueless himself, little mister, I'm aging slower than the rest of my colleagues because that man yeah he he's a he's a i enjoy him so but i'm what i'm saying is and maybe this is just me and my own personal thoughts taste and opinion but i feel like those are three powerhouse names right there that like to like to say this about him instead of just directly saying the stuff he got going on legally is making us pull out it's like mm, so you think I don't know, whatever. So, but no, but let me know. What do you think? What are your thoughts on the, um, on this studio source comment about moving away from a Jonathan Majors led phase? What what are your thoughts on that? So, keeping with the Marvel theme, <laughs> apparently there have been some talks to bring back the original gang for an Avengers movie. This would include reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, who both um, both were killed in Endgame. I'm actually not opposed to this in a particular context. Um... I feel like because the multiverse is open and we have we have the possibility of having so many different variations of uh, characters. I would not be opposed to having them back, but I don't want our main versions that are dead. Like if I if you get if you can give me a Robert Downey's Iron Man in a Spider-Man adjacent space where now that emotional um, element is there. And I guess it would hit the same with everyone, but because he was the sort of mentor, sure, have it go that way. Or give me a Natasha um, and Bruce Banner. Like, give, I, give me a alternate version, a variant of them, even played by themselves, that... Is that does not stay like I don't I mean, that that's my personal thoughts when it comes to it. But I can also see how uh, you can kind of slip into the comic book ness of it all with that as well. So I can see how killing someone off and having the multiverse open allows you space to bring them back, bring this, the actor back, say if they their contract is up or they decide, hey, I want to come back and do whatever. I can see that. But again, I don't want to run the risk of constantly doing the retcons and other things. I feel like when you're doing comics in a live action, there's that's a space to do things differently, to shake stuff up. And I don't think retcons are inherently bad, but I just don't want to see us walk down the road of Iron Man. Robert Downey was such a phenomenal character who everybody loved. And now we're just doing not fan service because I don't think that's inherently bad, but we're just like, let's get them back. And then does that kind of water down or dilute his earlier appearances? But then I guess maybe not because you're going to have those memories when you first watched it, no matter what. So I don't know. I think I'm kind of torn, but I, I am open to the idea of them coming back. I just don't know that they need to be 
the prime versions of those characters that actually died. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So for me, in an ideal context, you would have them come back, have them as variants, have them look slightly different. If Natasha has naturally brown hair and maybe has a different accent, like doesn't have the, well, she don't have accent. (laughs) Scarlet kind of, I don't know, whatever. But there's something about them that is distinctly different. Uh, or Tony comes back and you do kind of sort of an old man Batman sort of thing where he is or like old man Logan or whatever, where it's this older version of himself and he, I don't know, gray hair, wise beyond his years. And maybe he never, um, he became Iron Man later in life or whatever. Like give me something different or give me a Tony who at the end of his movie where he said, I am Iron Man, a version of that character where he never said that. So, yes, he's the same age and whatever, but, like, what life did he lead? Did he ever encounter Thanos and all this other stuff? So, I'm not opposed to it. I'm just like, you got to be creative. Don't just simply wake them up. Don't just simply, here are alternate versions of them, and they're just the same person they were before they died. Because, like, eh, if that's the case, like, what death doesn't really matter. Like, it doesn't matter. All those people who cried those big boohoo alligator tears when Tony died in Endgame, you know, damn, that's messed up. Um, I don't know if anyone cried behind Natasha, you know, it was kind of messed up, but it didn't move me to tears, but yeah, so I'm not against it, but y'all let me know. What do you feel? Do you think that this is completely unnecessary that we don't need a piece, a part, or none of that? Or do you feel like it would be a good addition to kind of shake things up and mix them in with this newer batch of characters who we have now? So another thing, um, and I, I don't have the article in front of me, so forgive me. And if you, if I say something incorrect, correct me and let me know in, um, social media or whatever. I don't know. Find me and tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) But, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, she is not trying to be Scarlet Witch. She's not trying to be mother (laughs) anymore. And so her thing is, and I wish I could find the article again, because I think, she said Wanda died or she was like some kind of way it was alluded to Wanda had actually died. I'm like, eh, sure girl say that, but I'm of two minds with that. She may truly not want to be Wanda anymore, but I'm thinking either she's like done playing Wanda and maybe we can get someone else. And they're saying that they killed Wanda just to be some sort of misdirect so that she can pop up again later, which is cool. But it's also like, that's not something you can keep secret trailers and speculation ruin everything. And we saw what happened when you tried to secretly have those two other Spider-Man <laughs> in the Spider-Man movie. Like there's no way that we're going to have Wanda be dead and gone. And then Kevin and company try to trick us and be like, Oh, but we are actually going to sneak her back in. And even if they recast her and it's not Elizabeth, like, no, they're going to spend the money so that, you know, this big name character or actor, excuse me, is in this movie or in this franchise. So I, I didn't think about that mess, but I just thought I'd bring it up considering the Marvel talk. So let me know if you know what I'm talking about as it pertains to Wanda and Elizabeth no more. Um, and if you agree, do you think that Wanda should be dead and gone? Or do you feel like, nah, they're trying to trick us? Let me know. Uh, we're going to hit that break, be on back, and uh, see you in a minute.
I swear I'm gonna find your weak point and bring you down! I have a name, you know. It's Tanjiro Kamado. Alright, Gunpachiro Kamapoko. I'm gonna bring you down! So, I've been doing a little watching, a little reading, a little song song, you know what I'm saying? And I am an anime fan. I'm not as knees deep into anime as others or as I am with other things, but I enjoy it. I um, never had anything against anime. I was watching a video series of this girl, and I cannot remember her for nothing, but she's an artist. And she would draw these different characters. Some would be anime. Some would be, you know, original characters she made up. And I remember coming across three of her videos where she discussed Demon Slayer. Now, for me, I had Demon Slayer on my list of animes to watch. And it's been on there for a very long time. And I cannot remember, like, when I first added it. But I know it looked pretty good. And she started giving spoilers. And I was like, well... Okay, I'll skip this video and come back after I watch it. And then I watched another video and she started giving spoilers again. I was like, all right, whatever. Move past that. Then I went to another video and another one. And I was like, okay, wait a goddamn minute. She giving spoilers and I, there's only so many scrolling past videos that I can do. Like, true enough, I could just stop watching her, you know, videos. But like, I wanted to see the art. So <laughs> I decided to press play. And when I tell you that was one of the best ideas I could have ever had. Demon Slayer is so fucking good. Why y'all ain't tell me that Demon Slayer was so fucking good? So, a quick little rundown. Demon Slayer is... Um, so, I believe the translation is Blade of Demon Destruction... Is what I found. It's a Japanese manga manga series that's written and illustrated. And I'm going to butcher this man's name. Please forgive me. Ko, Koyaharu. Go to. Go to. No, I'm not going to do it. If you know how to pronounce it, please let me know. I think I did pretty okay with the first name, last name. I'm not even going to disrespect this man. So it is. Um, it looks like it ran from February 2016 to May 2020 with its chapters collected into 13 volumes. That's been published by English in English by Viz Media and published by hmm, Shushisa on their Manga Plus platform. Now, the Demon Slayer anime. This shit is good. Um, so we follow Tanjiro and his family. I'm not going to get all knees deep into it, but first and foremost, this man had 56 siblings. I said, why in the hell? Where all these kids come from? And they live in this little um, kind of cottage in in the mountains. And he's delivering coal to uh, the people down the mountain. And that's how they make their money. And it's his mom, his younger sister, who's maybe like a year or two younger than him. Then it's even younger sister, maybe two or three years younger than him. Then there's like two little brothers, or three little brothers. So there's two that may be, like if Tanjiro is 16, I'd say... Um, Nazuko, I would put her at 14. And then I don't know the other ones because they all did. Um, the, then the girl under her, I would put at, let's say, 12. And then maybe the boy is 11. And then the other boy is 9. And then there's a baby who's like maybe 3. I'll give them, I'll give them 4. So, it's them and their mama. There's no daddy around. 
This man go down the mountain and deliver some coal. He come back up the mountain. And the whole time that they were talking in that opening scene, like, oh, brother, we love you. Can I go to the mountain with you, blah, whatever. I was like, one of these motherfuckers going to die. Little did I know, all the motherfuckers are going to die. That shit. I said, what the hell is this? And the shit is good. So one thing I do like about the show, to bring it kind of full circle, is the demons that are on the show are very much vampires like there's no way like when you know vampire lore that's exactly what these things are they're feeding on humans drinking their blood they can't be out in the daytime they have these very special magical abilities that give them power to do certain other mystical things they um get stronger like all everything surrounding now with a few like exceptions um like for them i think for the most part you can chop their head off and that'll kill them but if you got this special blade that does kill him and it's a whole thing and so i don't want to spoil too much for those of you who have not seen him but please trust and believe you have to get into it i grew up watching cartoons so i'm not a stranger to like the plucky young hero who's such a sweet guy or girl and they have a heart of gold and everyone they just want you to rally around and do great things and even though everyone around them may have varying degrees of like excitement and disgust in their personalities Tanjiro was somebody who I was like, damn, this motherfucker is kind of annoying, but that was so short-lived. I freaking love me some Tanjiro. This little motherfucker. First of all, let me tell you something. Anime fights, anime fights have always been my shit. I love anime fights. There's a, a anime Food Wars, and I, I love that shit too. And it ain't nothing but a bunch of fucking kids at this private elite school cooking. That's all they do is cook. But there are these fight scenes that are not physical fights, but they are like culinary fights, and the shit is so good. Um, just watch Castlevania, not true, not true. There were some good fights there. Every clip that I've ever seen of any anime, even Dragon Ball Z, which I'm not a fan of, but like it's part of my foundational years, and Sailor Moon and all that, Ronin Warriors, good ass fight scenes. This shit, this shit right here, this shit right here. This shit is so fucking good. Like, Tanjiro be whooping ass. And what I like about this show, this anime, and this may be true for all others. If so, let me know. But, like, I'm still kind of working my way through different animes. Uh, is that this motherfucker has been grinding. He has been learning. And I love the journey that they send him on to get better. So it's not like season one, he fights some low-level monsters and oh, he just needs to get stronger. So there's an episode of a fighting montage. And season two, now he's stronger than ever. No, this motherfucker, when he goes through some shit. Him and all his friends. There's so much shit. I just, um, I finished the Mugan train arc. And that shit was good. Um, I'm not going to spoil that too much. Just know that like, by that point, he had joined this this core of demon slayers. And him and his two homeboys was like whooping ass. But I will spoil this. I'm on the Entertainment District arc. And that shit, I'm taking my time finishing. Because there's only four seasons. And I don't want to be done. The Entertainment Season arc is the third season. And I don't, I don't want it to be over. This motherfucker fought this demon. And I guess I'm just not used to seeing this specific stuff in cartoons or animated version. But he was down and out. And he was like trying his best to like give it all he got. 
and the demon was talking to him and they were like having a calm, well, calm as you can be type conversation. It wasn't this big, huge battle. This demon bent this boy's fingers backwards. When I tell you, I hollered. I was like, God damn, you break my boy finger. Like it's it's so in the artwork, like for the rest of that episode, his fingers were bent back. This motherfucker was fighting with them broke ass fingers. And I'm like, bro, this is too good. This is there's no reason for this to be this good. Um, I won't spoil too much more, but I will say, my boy Inosuke, that's my bro. That's my bro. That's my bro. There ain't You can't say nothing bad about Inosuke to me. You can't do it. And if you don't know who he is, you know who he is. If you've seen any piece of Demon Slayer artwork, even if you only seen that stuff in passing, you already know my boy is. With that boar head, he's shirtless, and he got like a... um. Almost like a loincloth, but he's like wearing the, on his legs, the, his, he's wearing the black, no, the brownish colored, like Demon Slayer core pants, but he just, he a wild boy. He's just out there with no shirt on, his boar head, these two swords that's like sawed off like a shotgun. <laughs> like this dude is wild. So I'll leave it there. That, Inosuke, that's my boy. Don't talk. No trash about a no skate unless you want to get blocked. <laughs> so no, all in all, I think that um, if you enjoy, you know, a nice character arc, and if you enjoy like ragtag group of found friends, found family, and if you like, uh, you know, mystical, very colorful, brutal, violent art, <laughs> this is the show for you. So please check that out. Um, and then to kind of round things out. <sighs> The Fall of the House of Usher. So this is very much in the Dark Academia space. So it's very fitting to come around Halloween spooky season and go into November. I'm only on the second episode. I just finished it up a couple days ago. And I didn't realize, a friend of mine on Twitter had to point it out, that this is this show is based off of Edgar Allan Poe poems. He has a poem called The Fall of the House of Usher. And there are, now I haven't read it at the time of this recording, but there are characters, the children in there, who I think are named after or they represent other Edgar Allan Poe's poems. I'm like, damn, that's cool as fuck. Like, that motherfucker, he was he was ahead of his time. He did his own little multiverse in his little, back in his 1800 day. But um, I'm enjoying it so far. A lot of it is predictable. And I don't know if it's just predictable in general or if it's because I have that like fetish for like trying to figure out memories, memories, um, mysteries. And of course, if you've read the poem and you're familiar with Edgar Allan Poe's work, you probably know what's going on. But for me, it's like, again, another property that's and Rice adjacent where I don't know what the hell is going on. And I'm just trying to figure it out. So I'm enjoying that. It does give that spooky fall vibes. It is a, I'm liking it. Cinematography is on point. Some of it, I'm like, eh, but all in all, it's like a, as a full project. I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Um, so that's what I've been, been watching and a couple other things, but I'll leave it there. The fall of the house of Usher and my boy, Anosuke in Demon Slayer. So let me know if you watch either one is uh, the fall of the house of Usher. Is that on your list, on your radar? 
Um, or are you like, no, that shit ain't for me. I ain't trying to watch that shit. Um, either way, let me know. Use the hashtag ThePoolCBN. She's so fine, fine, fine. She's a dime, dime, dime. Look, you'll see. She's the beautifulest thing to me. If you don't believe, just take one look. When you do, you see you will be hooked. Ha! I can't deny she's the baddest thing you know so fine. If you don't believe, just take one look. When you do, you see you will be hooked. Look, you'll see she's the beautiful thing to me. <laughs> All right, y'all, so we back again, we back again, yeah, we back again, we back again. <laughs> so, yeah, y'all, this has been The Pool. This has been fun to dive back into. It's been a little minute since you popped up on the TL of the P-O-D-C-A-S-C-S-A-B-C. Ain't no bitches hitting me. But no, all in all, thank you guys so much for listening in to this episode of The Pool. I'm Rain Comey, your host. You can hit me up on TikTok and on Twitter at Carefree Blur. Those are the most immediate ways to get in touch with me. If you'd like to hit me up over on the Instagrams or over on the YouTubes, Carefree Black Nerd spelled out. Hit me up there. Um, I welcome conversation, uh, community. If you disagree with something that I said, I mean, that's all fine and good. I'm all for some healthy back and forth. If you um, didn't like any of the properties that I discussed today, that's fine as well. But get a life. <laughs> no, but thank you guys so much. And um, until next time, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. And I will check you on the next one. <laughs>